0: Hello, you. Welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we are talking about the movie Babe, and we are talking about it with the wonderful Caroline O'Donohue. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Babe, if you don't know, is a 1995 comedy drama film directed by Chris Noonan and produced by George Miller and written by both. I'm not quite sure how clear we are about that. We talk about George Miller quite a bit, but it was directed by Chris Noonan. It was produced by George Miller. It was written by the two of them. It's an adaptation of Dick King Smith's 1983 novel, The Sheep Pig, which tells the story of a farm pig who wants to do the work of a sheepdog. The film is narrated by Roscoe Lee Brown, and the main characters are played by both real animals and animatronic puppets. Caroline O'Donohue is a novelist, a screenwriter, and podcaster. To be friends with Sarah Marshall is to get clips of Caroline's podcast, Sentimental Garbage, sent to you on a regular basis. Uh, it was so great to have Caroline on the show and to be able to talk about this movie with her. She is a delight. And we spend uh, so much of this episode kind of just on the verge of tears. <laughs> Happy tears. Delighted tears. But we we, uh, we were feeling the feels in this one. And when I told you all on social media that we were covering this movie, there was such a warm response. Uh, this one means a lot to you. It means a lot to Caroline. So it was really nice to talk with her about it. This is a delight. I can't wait for you to hear it. Hey, if you plan on going to the You're Wrong About shows uh, later this month in April or in the first half of May, please stop by and say hello at the merch table. I'll be there selling stuff and saying hello to you if you say hello to me. Uh, I would love to see you. It's been so nice to meet you all on the first leg of the spring tour. We're going back out in the later part of April and then in uh, the first half of May. Most of the venues are sold out, but there's still a few tickets left for the Philly show. There are a few tickets left for One of the Brooklyn shows, and there are some tickets left for the Burlington show. So consider going to see some good times on stage, good podcast times on stage, and say hello at the merch table. You can find links to tickets in the show notes. We want to thank our Patreon supporters and our Apple podcast subscribers for helping make the show possible. The show's made possible by you. You help pay our bills. You help pay uh, everyone who works on the show. We're artists. We're writers. We're musicians. This is how we pay the bills, and we appreciate that you help make that possible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And in exchange, you get bonus episodes for your support. Our March bonus episode was a Q&A with Sarah and me. We just answered a bunch of questions that were submitted by y'all on social media. It was really nice to answer those questions. We might do one of those again uh, in the somewhat near future. For our next episode, we're going to be covering Sex in the City Season 2 with our friend Eve Lindley. So thanks again for your support. We appreciate your support. And uh, I hope you are enjoying those bonus episodes. All right, that'll do for this introduction. That'll do. Let's go uh, hang out with the talking pig in the gang. Let's go talk about Babe with Caroline Donahue. Hello, Sarah Marshall.
1: Hello, Alex Steed.
0: I don't want to get like just right into it. But I love that this is a movie where your heart is warmed the entire time. And then you're like, could this get any better? Is it possible? And then the end credits is mice singing to a reggae beat.
1: Yes. I also really was like, (laughs) where can we go from here? And then there it was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sarah Marshall what movie are we covering today and who do we have the great grand fortune of covering it with
1: <sighs> oh my gosh I'm so happy to tell you I'm over the moon we were talking about babe and we were talking about it with Caroline O'Donoghue who Ooh. I'm just gonna try and make be my friend in the course <laughs> of the next hour so get ready for that oh <laughs> What luck! Hello, everyone. This is this is wonderful. This is my favorite film
2: of all time. I'm so so pleased to finally have someone on this green earth to share it with.
0: <laughs> Caroline, why is this your favorite? Tell us about your relationship with Babe.
2: Well, um, I you know how like every person of a certain generation, their identity is formed by the kind of triad of VHS tapes that were available in their of home, course. And, and that's yeah. sort of the. That's the consolation. That's the real star sign. Um, Babe was a VHS tape that lived in my home. But, you know, unlike um, things that were more regularly worn out, like uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol was one and Aladdin was the other. Um, this was only for a special time that Babe would be on the TV, which would always be when, um, when one of us was when you were sick. In the middle You know that sort of earache Or toothache mm-hmm. Or like really Middle of the night child pain That cannot be <laughs> soothed by anything And your your mother is downstairs with you In the TV room And it's like sort of That twilight kind of Deepest, darkest You've never been up this late But you're in so much pain Yeah And she would, al- she would always put on babe And so just for years of my life Was just slowly drifting in and out of sleep uh, lying on one ear watching these animals do things to each other and, <laughs> um, and then I kind of like kind of like went into the recesses of my memory a little bit and then I remember sort of like um, hearing maybe the song uh, if I had words mm-hmm. somewhere in a pub in my 20s <laughs> and then it all came back and me and my um, boyfriend just kind of ran home and we watched it and then I think I've watched it a couple of times a year ever since then and I just it's become such a redundant thing to say now but like it's that thing of every time you watch it there's kind of another layer revealed itself Mm -hmm. but um, that's that's certainly how I feel about it anyway.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Caroline what do you do outside of watch Babe?
2: Uh I am a novelist some of the time and I am a uh, podcaster some of the time. The podcast that I host is called Sentimental Garbage um that has a shocking amount of crossover with You Are Good. We've covered many of the same films, <laughs> but I am um, uh, the kind of the strap line of Sentimental Garbage is that culture that you love that society sometimes make you feel makes you feel bad about and we don't just center on movies but on kind of cultural concepts. Like a favorite episode of mine recently was just about snacks.
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Sarah, is it fair to say that you've spent at least a quarter of the past year telling people to listen to Sentimental Garbage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I really struggle to listen to podcasts because by the time I've done making eight of them a month, eight episodes per month, I'm just like, well, I'm going to go watch Siskel and Ebert now. <laughs> and Sentimental Garbage is a podcast that I found because my friend Candace Opper, who's been on both of my shows many times who I love very dearly she had told me about the sentimental in the city episodes of sentimental garbage previously and I was like all right Candace that's very nice thank you I'm ignoring you and then she was talking about some she was talking about specifically the just like that episodes and the like button that makes Charlotte say (laughs) and it's still in the box (laughs) (laughs) and I was like okay this is a level of love for, for the Sex and the City girls that like I want to be near and I want to experience. And then, yeah, and then I fell in love with the show and it's all I can talk about. And it's the only new podcast that I have found that I liked uh, since I found Jamie Loftus's podcast. And that's my life and podcast for the past couple of years.
0: What good company. Oh, my, oh my goodness. <laughs> Sarah can you take us can you take us to the farmland and tell us uh, what babe is about
1: So I saw I saw this when it came out I would have been 7 or 8 I do not think I ever saw it a second time and what shocks me now revisiting it is that like w- the first 10 minutes of this movie I was just crying the entire time watching it as an adult yeah. It's very Charlotte's webby It's basically like Pigs, you know, in our human world, their destiny is to be eaten and separated, and the mommies and the babies are separated, and it's a horrible world. But this one pig managed to escape it to go to the fair to be the guess the weight of this piglet piglet. And James Cromwell, who's our farmer hoggett in this movie, guessed his weight correctly. The the farmer and the pig, they have this affinity from the first moment
2: something passed between the farmer and the pig a sense of a shared destiny (laughs) I would like to jump in at this point and ask were you kind of astonished
1: by the literary credibility
2: of the narration (laughs) yes
1: it's beautiful. I was also like, is that Michael Gambon? And like, it's not, but it could be, and it should be. What I love about this movie, sorry, you, I will let you carry
2: on. But oh no, um, go on. I find that so much of the time I'm watching animated films or films where there's a voice acting uh, component, and you're like, I wonder if that's Jeremy Renner. And then you look at your phone and you go, that's Jeremy Renner. <laughs> or it's like, that's Amy Poehler. And doing nothing more nor less than being Amy Poehler. And you're like, what, "Yes, what is this? What? I'm sorry, Amy. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but, um,
1: <laughs> no, I'm nothing against
2: her, but it's just like, I feel like we've really given up on that art form as like, what can voice acting do? What can we bring? How can a dog yeah. sound like a
1: duck?
0: You're speaking to Sarah's heart right now, Caroline. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a big Sarahism.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. I complain about this constantly. (laughs) Thank you. There's a great rant by Billy West, who is a great voice actor who's best known to me as Philip J. Fry on Futurama. And he's got this whole thing, because this was like a very 90s revolution, I think, was to have celebrities do voice acting. And he's got, I cannot summarize it, but he basically talks about how as a voice actor, like... You're saving budget for people because you're creating a whole character and a whole world just with your voice. And that's why it's something that you learn and you train in and you become a professional in rather than just being any actor who then again nothing against Seth Rogen I love him but you know again if he shows up to do a voice he's just going to be Seth Rogen and he's there so the parents can be like ha ha that's Seth Rogen Mm -hmm. you know and (laughs) Billy West's description of this is like you know if you hire Will Smith this is like around Shark Tale era I think if you hire Will Smith to do a voice in your movie he'll just be like hi I'm Will Smith I'm a clam (laughs) (laughs) and you know but yeah and how like that I think the biggest well I guess Hugo Weaving and Miriam Margulies are the biggest celebrities in this movie
0: yeah. yeah
2: yeah and like Miriam Margulies not really even recognizably doing the Miriam Margulies thing like she's a yeah. I, I'm not sure how big she is um, over there but like she's like a, a talk show mainstay she comes on tells a filthy story yeah I didn't know that. yeah the whole thing is that whenever like Graham Norton doesn't can't find a guest that week he just phones up <laughs> Miriam and then she'll tell <laughs> some insane story about how like, she flashed a policeman in 1971 <laughs> <laughs> or something and that's her role in society and then we appreciate it we, we love it
0: yeah as as like big as i like to want to ever get in celebrity voices is like this like rock a doodle which was like let's put glenn campbell in a kids movie like that's as big as we're ever going to get a recognizability but beyond that yeah. like I, I feel like you're right sarah it's like when we get into the late 90s early 2000s it's it's
1: it's insufferable. Yes. And yeah, the biggest stars we want are Miriam Margolies and as you so charmingly call him Samara Weaving's <laughs> uncle. Yeah, totally,
0: Samara's uncle.
1: Or is he her dad? Oh wow, they're related?
0: I think it's her uncle, yeah.
1: Oh, that's nice. I want I thought it was her dad.
0: Is it? Oh, that's that would make sense, too.
1: If Samara's listening, you don't want to piss her off.
0: Samara, tell us. Well, no, if, if Samara's listening, I feel like she'd be heartened to know that I have no idea what her re- fully, what her relationship is with that's him. That's true. Because she's her own person.
1: As Tracy Jordan once said of Steven Spielberg, Kate Capshaw's husband?
0: <laughs> oh, it is. Her dad is Simon Weaving.
1: There's another Weaving?
0: Her uncle is uh, the voice in this movie. <laughs>
1: Weirdly,
2: (laughs) as much as there is like not that much A plus talent, like uh, that recognizable vocal talent, there's lots of people that you think are in it, but aren't. Like I was convinced that that horse was James Earl Jones. It's not. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And like, why is the cow gay? (laughs) You know? (laughs)
1: for you guys as well that cow is so fucking gay and I love it we'll
0: figure it out
1: yes so we get to the farm which is populated by professional voice actors and Miriam Margulies and Samara Weaving's uncle and I also I want to submit my hypothesis that the 90s were like that as far as we could think in terms of like structural critiques was a series of movies that were like cats can't dance pigs can't herd sheep Dogs can't play basketball. Oh, wait, they can. (laughs) What was happening, do we think? I think that was what liberalism was about.
0: (laughs) Totally. It's like like everyone's saying you can't do a thing, and we're going to prove that you can, and also farms are where animals die. Like, that's what was happening.
1: (laughs) And also, you have to do it in order to survive. It's the some pig approach.
2: (laughs) Yes, the some pig Yeah, and do you think there's something going on existentially with the human relationship with pigs as per storytelling Hmm. where it's like the whole you know the Charlotte's web story the babe story the whole point of the pig is that it has to prove it's too good to die and is that not sort of the human experience with storytelling kind of thing prove you're too good to die but what I like about this and how it it like separates it from the kind of your earbuds or or whatever (laughs) apart from being just like Obviously, every single frame of it being so well considered to the point of like absurdity is that Babe doesn't have a skill. Babe's
1: skill is being polite. It's being. (laughs) He's like the Clarice Starling of pigs. (laughs) He
0: (laughs) is! It's a tremendous skill because one of the takeaways here is like, you don't have to be a dick to get what you want. Because like the way that the dogs do their job is they yell at and bite the sheep. Yeah. And Babe is just like, hey, can you please do this thing? And they're like, wow, what a revolutionary approach.
2: I know. It teaches a real story about the workplace, which is that if your boss (laughs) sucks to you at work, he's probably abusive to his wife. (laughs)
1: Mm, Yes, we have dog spousal abuse in this movie.
0: Oh, yeah. It's upsetting.
1: Get that dog out of that dog marriage! <laughs> and then they're kissing at the end and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Oh <laughs> I don't know about Rex and Fly.
2: Yeah. Is he is he coded veteran, do you think?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah totally. he is
0: he is he had a really traumatic incident uh, on the battlefield
1: yeah I was so, I was kind of shocked by how little I had retained of this movie because it is like really quite emotionally intense like it is there's a lot of fear of being eaten there's like a moment where we think that this goose character who we've met uh what is his name is it Ferdinand yeah f- uh Ferdie, Ferdie? Ferdie.
0: Yeah, Ferdinand.
1: Where we think that Ferdy has been served for Christmas dinner, but then it turns out to be some other duck who was possibly his girlfriend.
0: Who had such a beautiful nature, he said.
1: And we see her being fed to these horrible children as well
2: oh my god can we talk about these people yeah these fax machine owning (laughs) tall bearing children and also and i i know i I mentioned that i've like you know since i revisited this movie in my 20s i've been watching it quite quite a bit but Mm -hmm. i still cannot for the life of me figure out with those adult children who's their child Because they both call them mom and dad. And I just yeah. don't get it.
1: They're just siblings who married each other and that's why their kids are so awful, because they're there's we okay, so here's something I find mysterious. This is a movie full of like animal peril and trauma and death, and yet the most intense memory I had of it was of the little girl being horrible about the dollhouse that James Cromwell had built specially for her oh, because I was yeah. like so for whatever reason as like a seven or an eight year old I was so keyed in and sad about like this adult man painstakingly building something that then its intended recipient didn't want and I was so upset for him yeah why why and
2: the and I think it's because you're so aware when you are a little girl of the the bad press that's out there about little girls (laughs) and you're just so (laughs) You're just so... When you see something like that, your first instinct as an eight-year-old is like, control the message, everyone. Like, we need... We can't have this out there about us that we reject beautiful dollhouses. Yeah, you're right. All I want is a beautiful dollhouse painstakingly created by my grandfather, James Cromwell.
0: This was a storyline that showed up in a lot of like sitcoms in the '80s and early '90s, where like a dad tried to do a thing for the kid and tried to like. I remember very distinctly That's
1: what happened in Nope. <laughs>
0: I remember very distinct. Yes, you're right. I remember very distinctly an episode of Just the Ten of Us, which was a TV show, hilariously, which
1: was a spinoff of Growing Pains about their basketball coach, right? Yes,
0: it was. Yes, it was totally. And uh, our friend Nancy Thompson was in it, where the dad, knowing that the kid, the boy the one boy in the group really wanted a skateboard tried to make for him a skateboard and it was like a really embarrassing skateboard to make for him and the kid had to learn that like that was nice too but he really talked shit to his father about it the whole episode wow. and i took it personally on the dad's behalf i felt so mm-hmm. upset for the father
2: because yeah, uh, it minimizes the chances of you getting special gifts <laughs> But on the dollhouse thing, what I find so interesting about it is that, like, you know, we see him sort of painstakingly making all these beautiful little objects or whatever, and. Then the, his grandchild shows up, and he's not particularly connected with her really. It, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of a project he's been doing. And mm. what what I like noting throughout the film is the little projects Farmer Hoggett is working on. How he's just a man of like great internal desires that can never ever be expressed to his <laughs> to his wife or family. And for and it's first the dollhouse, and then he's kind of like um, heading out to the fields. And like either his son and or his son-in-law, he's either both or one or the other. <laughs> you know so. Yeah says <laughs> to says to him, you know, oh Arthur, you know, you're you're behind with the times. You're still using a horse and cart for God's sakes. And um Then, you know, Farmer Hoggett is like, and they're like, you know, perplexed by the fax machine. Then they're heading out to the fields and the sort of, the gate sort of clangs unpleasantly against the wall. And Farmer Hoggett kind of like winces, like he's like, oh, there must be a more, there must be a better and needlessly complicated and more elegant way to do that. (laughs) And he just builds this contraption, even though he's sort of like misunderstood as being something of a Luddite. Mm-hmm. or someone who's distant or in the past he's actually very modern just very quiet and internal and it's just it's him and it's and it's babe it's just like it just this film starts playing and even when the score begins and we have all that beautiful animatronic puppetry of all the kind mm-hmm. of country models of the pigs and you look at it and you're like wow we are obsessed with pigs as a as a nation and a culture <laughs> we are <laughs> they are everywhere all the time all at once um, and then the score starts and I just start crying and then you see Babe crying with his mom mom that's like it, the vo- the little <laughs> Chucky oh. Finster voice comes out and it's just so upsetting and and you're like oh god just the endless tears coming endless and then the farmer hoggit stuff and the and it happens and then the the tears just like it was like a little piccolo flute and then it just gets bassier, the tears. (laughs) It just just gets deeper and it rumbled through me like a thunderstorm and I'm like, this man is private and internal and he is quiet but that does not mean he is not enormous. You know, he is a big Uh.
1: spirit. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, and that he conveys that, which is incredible. Yeah.
0: I can't believe until you just said this that I did not put two and two together that this is Chucky's voice. I cannot (laughs) believe... It's the same voice.
1: (laughs) It's Krekki and Tommy, I believe. It's the irreplaceable Christine Kavanaugh.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, Oh my God. That's amazing.
1: Professional voice actor.
0: Yeah, clearly.
1: I I remember the thing that the dollhouse thing always made me think of, which is when I was... about 11, my scary English grandpa tried to give me a book on psychic surgery, which I was too scared <laughs> wow. to receive, and that apparently really hurt his feelings, Oh no. which is like the other end of that, where it's like, you know what, you're 80 years old, don't scare the child.
0: <laughs> don't give the kid books on psychic surgery.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I did really want a dollhouse, and... I never didn't get one until I was in college and I bought it myself from Playmobil.
2: <laughs> oh, Sarah, I had such a similar experience that I hadn't thought of until just now and it's all come rushing back.
1: Oh no, what happened?
2: No, it's that my dad who was, um, you know, I know this is no longer called Why Our Dads, but, um, you know, he was, you know, like any other dad in the 90s, just kind of a, a, at work and then on Sunday, just a knee in a newspaper, and you know. And mm-hmm. then I remember when I was about 10, him coming home from work and saying that he had a surprise and he was going to get it for me and uh, he was like it was like a thing that he had seen and he really wanted me to have and um at the time despite having seen this movie many times i was like cat like oh my god, he's like he's listening to mum, and he knows that mm-hmm. I want a kitten, and that it's gonna mm-hmm. be my best friend, and like we already have a family dog, but that's <laughs> communal property. A kitten mm-hmm. will just be for me, and we'll be private mm-hmm. together. And then he, and then he came home a couple of days later, and it was this like um huge like atlas.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh. But why are dads?
2: <laughs> but it was so... It was such a beautiful book and he was so like, here, yeah. here is my youngest child who reads. Oh, and I was just yeah. like, yeah. kitten, you know? And, yeah. yeah. Oh, I feel so ashamed to this day, even though I hadn't remembered it until just now.
0: <laughs> but it's so... It's so into that syncing, that like out of sync thing is so interesting where it's like, it's like from this perspective, knowing everything we know now, it's like, wow, like your dad was like, my kid reads. Yeah. And I love that. And this is important. But like your dad can't possibly have known how fucking important the kitten was you know (laughs) it's
1: like (laughs) and also the the most wonderful atlas is an incredibly poor kitten substitute (laughs) cannot do any of the things a kitten can do it's also and then like there's the thing where like there's all these reasons that adults and kids like don't or have a hard time communicating and then also kids just sometimes you know especially depending on age want things that are simply unknowable. Like when I was two or three, I had this mobile from when I was a baby that had little teddy bears and clown outfits on them. And I remember asking my mom to dust them off for me because I felt this was very important. And what I thought that meant was that they would like come down and I could play with them. Um. And then I like, you know, ran in after daycare and was like, where are the teddy bears? Did you dust them off? And she was like, yeah, I did. And I went in, and they were still on strings. And I was like, and for whatever reason, it did not occur to me to try a, a second time to communicate what I wanted. I was just like, I'll never, no. I'll never touch those little teddy bears. <laughs> it's very hard to be a kid. You have, you have, you know fundamentally no rights at all you just have to it's like all based on whether people can figure out how to communicate
0: and then depending on however it goes you internalize it and use those secret unsaid rules for the rest of your life
1: <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> uh, yeah
2: because and because things become private shames so quickly like stupid idiot yeah. why did i ever think they'd come down <laughs> of course they live in the sky <laughs>
1: And then you become obsessed with communicating for a living, and yet you never buy yourself little bears. So I know what I'm doing later today. (laughs) Sky bears for Sarah.
2: But um, I'm really curious about how the mother figures in this hit you. Yes. Because what hit me is that George Miller, I believe is his name. He's the producer of this, but he was also like the visioneer of it. He was the guy who was like, I am going to talk to animal trainers and animatronic people for 10 years in order to get this made because I so passionately need this to be a thing. And the other thing he is famous for is Mad Max Fury Road.
0: Holy
1: Uh, shit! I was thinking that and then I was like, that can't be the same guy, but of course it is because these two cultural artifacts combine to form Australia. That's what it is That's Australia (laughs) Holy moly
2: (laughs) Weird Weird Strange I find Australian humour Sometimes impenetrable And sometimes Incredibly charming And I think part of it Is always about like um, Because they live in this vast Huge scary landscape But there's so much Sort of like empire and Britishness happening there mm-hmm. at the same time, or historically there was. The absurdity of trying to control things is a big factor, I think, of Australian humour. And I think you get that a mm. lot in Mrs. Hoggett, this thing of like she's just her sort of like mm, kind of like her jellies and jams and her contests and her localness. It's like that same kind of humor you get in strictly ballroom of like right. we're just so obsessed with the smallest little committees and the and the little hobbies and the things and we want to pack it in all as tightly so all the lizards can't eat us. You know, it's (laughs) it's so interesting to me. And then obviously, Mad Max is um, everything we fear about Australia, just turned up slightly. Yeah. But both films have this um, focus on on mothers and and multiple mothers that I find very fascinating. Because in Babe, you've got you've got his mother, and then you have Fly, who um, first he sort of clings to in a kind of a lost way, and she almost slightly resents because pigs are beneath her. And then she loses her own children and he becomes this substitute and she suddenly cares with her whole heart and it's very beautiful. And then you have Ma, the sheep, who's like this third mother figure that comes in and it's just, I find it very interesting. There's like a multiple of mothers.
1: Yeah. Well, and also you saying that about Mad Max makes me think about like masculinity in these movies, right? Because Mad Max and then Fury Road, I think more overtly than the previous ones, are about like unchecked masculinity Mm -hmm. and what it wants and what it can do and making women into livestock fundamentally. Oh, wow. And right? (laughs) The Venn diagram is becoming yet a perfect circle. I know, and then I was like, I was staring off, like looking at imaginary equations like Winona Ryder, like Fran equals babe, question mark, strictly ballroom. (laughs) Yeah, and then, right, and then, I don't know, and then James Cromwell and this is like, reminds me of John Williams' novel Stoner a little bit. It's like, what is going on in, in the mind of the man who just like, no one has asked what he thinks for long enough that it doesn't occur to him to say
0: to the point about about him in this movie, like what I what I love about his strength is the only way he subverts expectation is to pretend he's doing the right thing. Like when he's when it's being discussed that babe's going to be eaten for Christmas, you know, he's like he's like, Yeah, hey, I'm getting ready to kill the pig with this knife and then um he's like but it, he wants babe to still lives but he isn't able to pitch that
1: also why would you kill a pig at that size that's <laughs> just silly he's so small it was ridiculous what's the point
0: he's so little <laughs> But he, the way he pitches doing it is not being like, I'm going to keep Babe alive. He's like, we could win a contest. We could win the hog contest in a couple of months if we don't kill him now. And he puts it into her head to keep him alive. Like his his method of getting stuff done is really subversive and pretty, pretty lovely. Yeah. It's not like I'm the man.
1: And it's a classic husband and wife pairing, too, that you, I think, see in fiction and maybe especially in fairy tales where like. The man is leading quietly and kind of sneakily, the way that wives normally do. Mm. And where adult Mm. women are dumb bitches who want to stand between little pigs and their dreams, (laughs) although they will be won over in the end.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think I always did see the farmers, what Mrs. Hoggett, as being um, like an antagonist before this, or like I think because I I saw her and the cat as being in one corner, Mm. and Mm -hmm. uh, the farmer and the dogs and being in another and just the more you look at her and that's such a beautiful performance and the actress is something like Mm -hmm. 35 when she's playing her as well which is crazy Mm -hmm. but I I find their relationship actually very sweet the thing of like I mean her her sort of like going away for like some weird council thing weekend and um she's like laying out all the food that's like for this like yeah. okay, here's this like gruel I've like sectioned into pots for you, put it in the oven. Now here's now for Duchess, it's liver on a Monday. Lamb on a Tuesday. <laughs> Eat it up for her, but test it. <laughs> you know that whole thing. I find that beautiful. And then he like he walks her out to this this pissing rain um bus where all her mm-hmm. pals are in there and um, the the kind of umbrella and they kind of have this little kiss and she gets on and and she goes, Oh, you know, something's up with that man. L- little things only a wife would know. And there's just something very dear about the two of them. And like she doesn't you know that meme that goes around every now and then about the kid next door in Toy Story who's like, he didn't know they were alive, they weren't supposed to be.
1: <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> huh. No, I is it is about Sid. Yeah. Like justice for Sid. That's, yeah, that's good. He was just yeah. making art. Like <laughs> Sid has issues. Yeah, <laughs> It's like,
2: she she doesn't know that pigs have vast internal monologues they aren't supposed to.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. And then this is a movie that like pairs so interestingly with Charlotte's Web, which I was thinking about the other day, I think, because I knew we were going to get into this where it's like, it's such a strange experience as a child to, you know, to just be shown essentially like this very very vegan leaning movie, right? That's like, you know, humans subjugate animals and we don't see them for their spirits and their hearts. We just see them as something that's going to be on our plate pretty soon. And when you think about it, that's actually really horrible. (laughs) And as a child, like, what are you supposed to do with that information? Because then like, unless your family, because it's so funny to me that these are like, these are stories I grew up with and loved. And I think that they function very well as like, anti-meat propaganda and I use propaganda in the positive sense here and yet very few parents who eat meat and serve it to their kids would even think to be like no you can't see babe it's going to make you too sympathetic to your dinner.
2: Yeah, I thought a lot about that too. That I, th- I surely every child comes away from a baby viewing or a chicken run viewing or whatever, being like, "We gotta, we gotta stop." And the parents like, "Oh, you'll get over it," you know. But like, <laughs> 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 because it presents a, a kind of a world where animals can have kind of nice jobs where they're not. <laughs> They're not institutionalized in these like horrible meat factories and then are our slaves. Like can can we not have a world where animals are just working stiffs like you and me, you know. <laughs> They'll have to immediately result in death, but they can die in a timely manner like you and I. <laughs> I like, do nothing to support this future and forget about, babe. Right. Periodically, all the time. Yeah. Don't buy a lot of pork in my house, but I'll eat it when I'm out, you know? <laughs> like it's I don't know. No. The most chilling section of the movie for me is the sort of like the pre sheepdog talents bits where everyone kind of knows that Babe is like everyone's grown very fond of Babe on the farm, and like there's a point where Ma's being led back to the pasture and she's like, "Well, I'll I'll be seeing you," and she's he's like, "I could I could visit your Ma," and she's like, mm, "Wouldn't count on it." like <laughs> <And then, laughs> All of these, like all of these animals, he's grown to love as his family is, like, are making veiled, chilling references to his imminent death, and he's like, la la la, <laughs> <laughs> la la la, it's like, oh no,
0: and that's all of us in the face of the inevitable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: La la la.
1: <laughs> he makes a good point. God, I love Babe. I was watching this, and every five minutes I would be like, I love Babe. And I didn't really think that I would feel that way. Because I, you know, when you come back as an adult to the like extremely cute characters of your childhood it's you know it doesn't always hold up but like do, Alex do you find Babe extremely lovable? I've,
0: I So I never saw this movie. Oh wow oh, okay. I just saw I was I think maybe not too old but. You were like working in a mall by the time this came out. I, I was watching horror when this came out. Yeah I was yeah. like into and so.
1: You were watching Demon Night. Uh,
0: yes I, that's exactly what I was watching at this time so and, and I remember actually it's so funny that you just did the la 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 because I remember that from the commercial and I would quote just Babe in the commercial regularly doing that. I did not see it in real time. I love James Cromwell in pretty much everything that I saw him in after this oh wow but I loved this movie so much I actually thought that this was this movie in a wonderful way knowing that George Miller directed it kind of makes sense it was weirder than I expected it to be I thought it was going to be like this is a movie for kids and we do all the right kids things but like even the opening with the stop-motion animals is like oh feels a little Tim Burton-y in a way that I mm. enjoyed Tim Burton from the better days mm-hmm. and it's dark it's like there are several times where you're confronted with death and the cycle of nature in a way that I think more kids movies should do.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. And what's so fascinating to me about it is that like, you know, irritatingly, I've never gotten the chance to cover this on my own podcast because it's supposed to specifically say things, things that have been sort of uh, thrown out by you know, popular taste or or criticized or whatever, and um, this was the best picture nominee. You know,
1: wow. Yeah,
2: yeah. Good. It's like, <laughs> truly. And uh, you know, it was this little movie that could even, and you know, it was this thing that people, you know, parents took their children to see and then were utterly bewitched by it. And it was this um, phenomenon. But that makes sense that it would like have hit families in a big way. But like that, you know, ordinary, you know, twenty something film goers would be like, oh, Christmas Carol, pigs song songs. <laughs> So it was this huge phenomenon, enough to have a sequel with the funniest title of any film ever, which is Babe 2, Pig in the City.
1: <laughs> I love that. I feel like they were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? What did they do for Home Alone? Great. Let's do that.
2: <laughs> Pig in the City. like That and Electric Boogaloo, it's the funniest sequel title yeah. ever. But then despite it being this like huge phenomenon, making an enormous amount of money and and having That'll do pig Immediately entering Into the sort of Like cultural lexicon Of things we say mm-hmm. I actually think It's had a very Short tail Culturally Like mm-hmm. like a pig's mm-hmm. tail Short and curly In that like It's not like A princess bride Or a dark crystal mm-hmm. Or a labyrinth Where like People are like Oh my god Yeah best movie ever Or like you know The Goonies Where you can go in And find mm-hmm. it on a t-shirt Any which way Like I just feel like It's kind of like in preparing for this podcast, talking to friends this week, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I've seen Babe. I guess I saw Babe when I was, you know, a small child or missed it entirely because I was too old. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm amazed that it's not it's not really living as presently in the minds of others that live so yeah. constantly in the mind of me. <laughs>
1: that reminds me of, um, of Watership Down, which I would say is tonally somewhat similar to this, although this is, like, a beautiful lovely to behold movie that actually reminds me of the Shire sequences in the Lord of the Rings and Watership Down is, you know, aesthetically as horrifying as it can (laughs) possibly be. Um, And that like Watership Down, when the novel was um, under submission, it like had a hard time getting published because publishers were like, who is this for? It's about rabbits, but it doesn't seem to be for children. And it's like a World War II metaphor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's about rabbits. So will adults accept it? And that it's like, I don't know, they they both feel like they're both for neither children nor adults and therefore for everybody in a sense. Does that ring true at all? <laughs>
2: yes. Yes. And it's also because I knew I was talking to you, Sarah, about this. I um, inevitably thought of Tanya Harding. <laughs> yes. And having listened to this podcast a bunch, just I, I love learning about ice skating, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> competitive
2: ice skating in the U.S., a sport that does not really exist in Ireland or England. Learning little bits about it just through asides on this podcast, mm. and um, I thought about it when I was looking at those sheepdog trials and about how the smaller and stranger a sport or a recreational hobby is or whatever, the more formal it becomes like the more yeah. um, and the more like fastidious people come and how great a job this movie does of communicating to you how big a deal these sheepdog trials are. Mm-hmm. We've been fed that so, so wonderfully that, that we care so much by the time it gets to that. And there's, all this thing of his like just in- enormous faith in this pig that he has and that beautiful scene where he's like he's learned to work the fax machine importantly and he's like um filling out his form and and there's a the beautiful narration is saying you know he was relieved to see that like if it, it didn't say name of dog but name of entry because anything mm-hmm. he would have put after that would have been a lie and so he just writes pig in inverted commas (laughs) and for some reason the inverted commas were another character in the movie to me (laughs) you know just people of a certain age and generation just put inverted commas around everything just everywhere (laughs)
1: there's quotations try our shrimp try (laughs) our shrimp (laughs) okay what is it where did it come from yeah
2: and then you like you get to these trials and um I just really feel it every time when everyone's just like this mix between abject horror that like somebody <laughs> who has such a long standing relationship with this sport and with this community would, would like mock it by entering <laughs> this pig. Mm. And then you get to it and then the then babe does it and he does it perfectly and he like and all the footage up to that point has been kind of chaotic of dogs kind of flipping out mm. on sheep or whatever, and then you just see this like perfect silence and then Just Sort of like leading the sheep around into the ring, into the fence. It's all very like, and everyone is just crazy. And every time I watch it, I'm like, if this were, if this were real, and if this were on YouTube, every single time I got drunk, I would bring someone back (laughs) to my home and she's like, let's watch the fucking pig do the thing. (laughs) Let's watch him. Yes. But then like, it's like this thing of then the, you know, farmer hog, it clicks the door, gate closed. And, um, and also, just as uh, as an aside to my own monologue, to interrupt myself, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing I, I really enjoy, like the parallel between the... Sh- the- inventing that little big gizmo thing he creates for the gate in his own farm versus the clicking Mm -hmm. of the gate at the very end it's this nice mirroring of like oh of course there's a crazy but very elegant way to do things that are different that (laughs) only farmer hoggett can see and it's beautiful to me but then yeah then the click of the door and then like the entire stadium is going crazy like his wife is on tv in her shitty little hotel room and she's crying and it was and then i just thought of tanya harding and i was just like Ah! Baby's Tanya Harding. <gasps> She's the tomboy who wanted to skate. She's the tomboy who wanted to skate. And like the the difference between like national laughing stock and, and like national inspiration being the difference in the click of a door was just like Yeah. It's so thin. It's so thin.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's all about whether, you know, you can get help and teamwork and whether, you know, Rex will like (laughs) swallow his pride in the crucial moment. Whether Samara Weaving's uncle can step up. We're
0: very lucky that Rex could come too. Yeah.
1: And just to finish the summary. What happens in Babe? Babe is a little pig who wants to avoid death once he figures out what that is, and he also wants to herd sheep, and he does. He herds them by asking them very politely. They go where he wants them to go, and then at the sheepdog trials... All these characters are forced to give him a perfect score, and I was like, "Yes, it's like when Torvald and Dean did Bolero.
0: <laughs> it's avant-garde, but everyone must admit it's perfect. It is. Oh my God! The other, the other parallel that's happening here, along with Tanya Harding. I don't mean to take away from that.
2: <laughs> Which is a perfect comparison and with no flaws.
0: No, no flaws. Uh, I uh, the other thing that's happening here, and I don't, I'm sure there were a ton of um, grad papers written 10 years later after this in some way is like, The standardization of farming was happening in the 90s, particularly for EU compliance. That was the technological standardization of farming, where you were going from essentially rural agriculture stuff to turning your farm into like a little business. And there were a lot of farms that were actively resisting that because the call was like, This is what you do. You modernize. You get a fax machine. This is exactly how you're supposed to do it. We're doing it this way. We're doing it this way. And
1: is this something that you experienced? Personally, like, did you grow up with a lot of farm kids?
0: I grew up with a lot of farm kids. I became a person who was like against the IMF in theory in the late 90s, early 2000s, because that was also just like a lefty position generally. But also, to the point of your question, I grew up with a lot of kids who were in 4 H, which was an agricultural farming club. Mm -hmm. And we were at the very, very end of the 20th century in a lot of ways, but people were being pulled into the 21st century essentially with like an economic gun to their head
1: and not one that dispenses treats right it's a babe reference
0: (laughs) in this movie this movie i feel like whether or not it was doing so intentionally if it's coming from george miller i feel like probably a little intentionally was speaking to that tension wow
1: yeah i feel confident saying that george miller loves an allegory
0: (laughs) (laughs) and can see larger forces at play and likes to talk about them
1: (laughs) Yeah, something I also found really interesting watching this is that this movie, similar to Beauty and the Beast, actually, feels like it takes place in its own little bubble of time, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, we have fax machines, we know that modernization is coming in some kind of a big way, and yet also they're acting like they just figured out about alarm clocks. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it has nice musical tone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, and this movie, in a way that feels intentional to me and feels really meaningful to me feels like it was created intentionally to not give a sense of time or of place. We don't know when we are and we don't know where we are. And I think that that's the argument maybe implicitly is that it shouldn't matter.
0: Yeah. I love when anything does that. And you're right. I hadn't even put my finger on that with this, but this does feel kind of strangely anachronistic. Like, does it take place when it came out? Does it take place 30 years before it has a fax machine?
1: That barn has a thatched roof. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think as well as like, you know, growing up in Ireland, obviously, and there's a lot of guys like that. <laughs> like, I think I, you know, you know, being Irish and not living in Ireland um, is always a sort of tough relationship between um, being very insistent with people, particularly English people, particularly Londoners of um, where I live, that, you know, we're, we're a modern country. You know, we've got chemotherapy and Searsharonin and large cities. <laughs> and, you know, and you know the, the, the city I grew up in is like, the we have an apple, <laughs> you know, as in like the, the European headquarters is there. I got a bunch of friends who work there and it's, you know, mm-hmm. leave us alone, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and while also knowing that, you know, there are still, you know, farmer hoggets, you know, that that's a real thing. And you see those guys and you, you see them in the pub and, you know, Ireland never had um, an industrial revolution in any real way and as a result we also don't have great snack food like you know like burritos and cornish pasties and like (laughs) carrion snacks we don't have any carrion snacks because people didn't leave their homes to work they just (laughs) they just went into a garden that was 30 feet away and did that all day and then they came home for some a glass of milk and something wet in a bowl and that was (laughs) and that was irish cuisine for 600 years and, and like and, and the
1: <laughs> alex is that what maine is like yeah oh, <laughs> it sure is
0: we're all scotch irish you know
1: i would love to go Domain, I'm good.
0: Yeah, you you feel at home.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, man, those Cornish pasties. I would never. I would never. Technology corrupts.
0: (laughs) I'm from a town called Cornish, by the way. My town is Cornish. Like, that's how on the nose it is. I just want to say my friend, Emily, who I adore, is just went through some like life sort of life was going this way and then it went this way. And mm-hmm. she she moved back to Maine, which is where we're from. She bought a farm in Maine and she's she's a vegetarian and she's now fostering and taking care of pigs that sort of have are outside of the industrial food situation right now. So there's a there's a converse to this story.
2: <laughs> you said outside outside of the industrial food situation right now. Like like, (laughs) I'm I'm just between places right now. (laughs) I'm going through a divorce.
0: They're reassessing their journey. (laughs) (laughs) Together. Yeah. A family. Absolutely. That's
2: good for her. Is it like does she say that pigs are terrifyingly smart and one day they'll have their revenge on us all
0: that is my experience with pigs but i think that she has a, a bit more of a, a loving lovely and idealistic view of where things mm-hmm. are Where things are with pigs and I'm, I'm glad i'm glad she's out there
1: yeah i i think that i both love and fear pigs and, I, and there's something funny about pigs too where like they're so cute and little when they're piglets and then at a certain point i think it's a human thing to be like you could overpower me if you chose to and you have the intelligence to choose to yeah this is the thing we so the often argument
2: against um, eating meat which is a very good one is that, that pigs are are smart and probably smarter than most dogs which I, I believe mm-hmm. I've got a dog and she's dumb as shit <laughs> but uh, the, <laughs> the um, counter argument is, is that like yeah pigs are smart we have to eat them because you're right Sarah they will overpower us <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then they'll put on our clothes like an animal farm. They've (laughs) proved they they can do it. (laughs) The question I have about this movie is because, you know, famously, Jon Favreau made The Lion King again. And if anybody liked it, they were very quiet about it. And what everyone kind of pointed out as the reason it didn't work is that you have these like dead-eyed animals with, like, barely moving lips saying human lines and how it just feels weird. And I was watching this movie and kind of thinking about, like, you know, these are – they're different mainly because this is actually, for the most part, we actually filmed animals. We're not not computer rendering everything. But, like, that this really works. And it worked for me as a little kid. And it clearly – it worked for – it seems like most little kids who saw it that like we can understand, you know, without having these animals making human faces at us the whole time, we can understand the drama inside of them, maybe kind of similar to what you're saying. And I I wonder like, why do we think that this, that this works and yet the the Favreau method doesn't.
0: I haven't seen the Favreau uh, Lion King, so I can't speak to that. But what really struck me about, about this movie and what worked for me is like, the whole thing has the dynamic of being in a schoolyard, like all of their social dynamics are, are there's like little clusters of different cliques and different people who provide like different experiences for babe and like babe is you Mm -hmm. kind of like bouncing around these groups and figuring out how to be and there's like different sets of rules and like you know like you have to figure out where your approach matches the rules or there's conflicts or whatever but it, it struck me that like this is like the workplace this is like school this is just you have all of these social dynamics. I know that like in theory, the lion King is about that. But
1: yeah, but then it's also, it's Hamlet and it's like being the heir apparent from the beginning. Right. And this idea of like, you have to live up to your dad being the King and all of that.
0: Right. Which is like a very, that's a thing that is not necessarily a thing you as a child is, are faced with yet. And I think that like babe works really well. Cause it's just like, how do you be out in social groups? Mm. Oh,
2: that's so true that's so lovely and so true and it's like and and I feel you as you say Alex there's I think there's like those facts about children's movies that adults enjoy and enjoy uh, that you know to be like oh Anthony Hamlet or Macbeth or whatever you know the endless kind of Greek tales that these children's films are in conversation with and that are like fun to write and think about but you're right children aren't just looking for guidebooks for how to be in uncomfortable situations and and babe's just there be like just be nice just just be nice to people be nice to sheep be nice to people who think that you are dumb be nice to people who you're afraid of be nice to people who are a dog <laughs> like-
1: I think to me just based on everything we've been talking about it it feels to me like it sits so well with me and like touches me the way that it does because it feels kind of like the thing we've talked about a lot on this show is like a an incredibly sincere effort, you know, and I feel often like extremely touched by a movie that feels like everyone is at their height of their powers, everyone is doing their absolute best and actually sharing everything they do know, and they're doing it for children. And they're not doing it in a way where you're just kind of, you're treating children as as less important. And I guess maybe that's why, yeah, this feels... Like this movie respects is able to respect Babe because it respects the little kids that are watching it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And this um on, on that note of respect, um I don't like to do a ton of like trivia reading or whatever, but the um the one I really enjoy about this movie is um James Cromwell has repeated this anecdote several times over the years where he says that, you know, the famous thing of like he he saw that he had like, you know, forty lines or something in the entire script and somebody said to him, like, look, you just do it. It's a free trip to Australia and if 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 you if it flunks then it's the pig's fault And he's like, Yeah, it's the pig's fault (laughs) And then he 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 got there and he realized, you know, how what an incredibly huge effort the entire picture was and how many animal trainers were working and how many pigs they had and all this kind of stuff. And he said, you know, he said, no matter what, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to goof off. I'm not going to do what I do all the time and Mm -hmm. sort of like self-sabotage and make things difficult and (laughs) kick off or whatever, for whatever reason, I'm going to take this as seriously as I would take Shakespeare, you know? And then he says, and said, you know, that he, he tried not to pay too much attention to the, costume or the makeup or whatever because i think farmer hoggett the character was quite a bit older than than he mm. the actor was and so he was just, he would just talk to the makeup girl and then he would go and do his thing and then it was the last day of filming and he was uh doing his you know his line to the pig his that'll do pig and he obviously wasn't looking right down on the pig when he delivers it he's looking right down the lens of the camera and he said he could see the reflection of himself back of mm. him and he just saw this much older man who looked exactly like his father <laughs> he said all he could hear himself saying was that'll do jimmy that'll do
0: oh my god oh
2: mm-hmm. and that and that for the first time he had you know shown up to do something and he did it respectfully and that he felt like his father was there with him you know
1: yeah you're right sarah <laughs> and and you can yeah and then that's that that's there like you can feel it whether you know that story or not i think and Yeah, I don't know. I think that um, some of the absolute worst media is made for children, like some of the laziest, some of the, you know, the least thoughtful, the least respectful to its audience. And so when you actually do see it, it really takes your breath away.
0: We know that there is a father in this movie, who, in your view, Caroline, is the daddy
2: who is the daddy? I mean, I, I is it too basic to say Hoggett?
0: No, no. Like I
2: just, I just feel like this is the kind of, um, the kind of parenting and masculinity we all aspire to. Surely, beautiful dollhouses and no conversation. You know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I just, I have so many feelings about that man, and, um, you know, it's it's just very rare to see an introverted father figure who's who's genuinely gentle and. I don't know. I'm just very moved by him. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't speak too much <laughs> about Farmer Hoggett.
0: I'm going to say Ma, just for conveying the lesson that I feel like I, it's, it's worth revisiting every day, considering a lot of the ways that I was ordered around was through loud talking. And I should need to unlearn that myself Is Ma's like, you could just uh, ask us in a nice way and we'll uh, we'll do the thing that you want us to do. That's a lesson I'm still learning every day. So I appreciate Ma just saying it directly to babe in a way that uh, I would have liked to have heard when I was a kid.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm also going to echo Farmer Hoggett because I think, I don't know, just thinking back on how I was affected by the dollhouse situation, there is the worry <laughs> that as a little girl, you'll get bad press and you're less likely to get your own dollhouse. And that's a grave concern and also just I think that the movie really like in an unusual way for an adult man especially in a children's movie but really in any movie it like teaches you to look at how he's feeling and to be really keyed into just what his face is showing and what his feelings are and it's so rare actually for any movie to treat an adult male character that way I feel like I feel like that's that's rare and it's I don't know it it creates a bond between between the viewer and the farmer that feels very special yeah I, I want to I don't know keep thinking about how they did that because it's wonderful yeah no just two for farmer Hoggett.
2: <laughs> maybe a soft one for fly you know she really pulls her weight around that farm
1: yeah and also Fly has to grow. She's like not a perfect mother figure, which yeah. also feels special for a movie to show. Yeah. It,
0: speaking of the the Mad Max connection, like the fact that like Farmer, Hoggett and Max mm. are as sympathetic as they are in the ways that they are sympathetic is shocking. Like these are men that if you just look at them, you're like, nah, I'm not sympathetic. But then their journey, you're like, really sort of sensitive, sensitive boys. Real nice.
1: Well, and also that they're <laughs> that um, Farmer Hoggett and Mad Max in Fury Road are both their destiny is to help someone else do what they need to do. Right, Babe equals Furiosa. Yeah, Babe equals Furiosa.
0: And then all the mothers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite bits of the movie is when he's like looking out the window at the chickens being um, herded by Babe, and he goes, Hmm. His wife goes. What are you babbling on about? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Caroline, how can people find you on the internet, and what would you like them to consume of yours?
2: Oh, here's what you can consume. Um, my, um, my, uh, I've got a trilogy for young adults um, called the Gift Series. It's available. In places where they sell young adult books But also my first adult novel um, Is coming out in the US in June It's called The Rachel Incident Yay Yay. Yeah um, yeah, you can find me My podcast is Sentimental Garbage And I'm trying to take a social media break But you can find me at Zara Online On Instagram
0: All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you so much to Carolina O'Donohue for being on the show. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the show and for editing. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing the show. Thanks to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make the show sound so sweet. Thanks to you, dear friends on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. Come see the gang on the road at the You're Wrong About Tour. We would love to see you out there. And I think that's it. I think that's all you need to know. Find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Pod, And don't forget that you, my friend, are good.